All right, guys, I feel like I should warn you a little bit ahead of today's interview that this is probably not the smoothest bit of interviewing I have ever done. I feel like you're going to hear me stumble through some sentences and trip over my words a little bit in a way that I'd like to think that I don't always do. But I think there's a good reason, and I think it's worth pointing out what that reason is. Stacy Fiesel is a family photographer based in the Pacific Northwest who specializes in photographing families with neurodivergent kids. And she is coming on the show today to share her expertise about how we as photographers can show up better for our clients who happen to be part of that 20% of the population who is uh, either, you know, if it's the person who's hiring us or their child or their partner, one in five people in the world today is uh, suspected, if not diagnosed, to fall into some sort of neurodivergent diagnosis. So that means that no matter what kind of subject matter you photograph, no matter where you live, no matter you know how you run your business, this, this is a segment of the population that you are going to be working with, whether you know it or not. And the ways that Stacy is teaching us to prepare for accommodate for and then um, and then show up for in the session itself, these clients is hugely helpful. But <laughs> when we don't fully understand all the ins and outs of something, when we feel a little nervous about saying the wrong thing or using the wrong terminology or asking a question that may sound ignorant or even worse, potentially offensive, we tend to, to clam up a little bit. We tend to get awkward. And that is what you are hearing from me today. Because as much as I have tried over the past couple of years, as I have become more aware of this population and their particular needs and challenges, uh, I have tried to educate myself. But it is not something that I feel 100% fluent in at this point in my journey. And so I feel like that shows up. And so I just kind of wanted to address the elephant in the room and say that if you, like me, do not feel like an expert on neurodivergence and working with families or other clients with neurodivergent diagnoses or challenges, I would invite you to sit with that discomfort a little bit. Sit with me in that discomfort a little bit and know that by pushing through that and by opening our minds and our eyes to uh, how that can and should change, we will become better. Not just better photographers, not just better business people, but better humans. So I think you will enjoy this. I know that many of you really enjoyed my episode a while back with Rose McAvoy on a similar subject. That was episode 236, if you're interested in uh, in going back and listening to that as well. Today's conversation was a great one, and I know you're going to enjoy this. Welcome to This Can't Be That Hard. My name is Anami Tonkin, and I help photographers run profitable, sustainable businesses that they love. Each week on the podcast, I cover simple, actionable strategies and systems that photographers at every level of experience can use to earn more money in a more sustainable way. Running a photography business doesn't have to be that hard. You can do it, and I can show you how. 
Stacy Fiesel. Welcome to This Can't Be That Hard. I am so excited to dive into today's conversation. How are you today? I am doing great. Thank you so much for having me. No, I um, I, I really do appreciate you being willing to come on and talk. Uh, for anyone who's listening who may have missed it several months ago now, I had Rose McAvoy on the show who brought to the conversation sort of the subject of neurodiversity within our sort of our subject population or the um, families or the clients that we work with and how we can build better businesses for those people and um, sort of educate ourselves. That pop that uh, episode was super popular. Um, I got tons of, you know, just messages coming in from kind of all different directions saying, A, thank you for talking about this. This is helpful to me as someone who is neurodiverse, divergent, or who as someone who has children who have been identified um, as such. And then there were a whole bunch of photographers who said, this has just been so helpful in helping me know, you know, just some basic things that I can be doing to to make my business more accessible. So based on that, I mean, it wasn't a surprise to me that that kind of sparked a fire in people, but it is definitely, I knew right away that that was a subject that I wanted to reintroduce on the show. And you have many years of experience and um, and have been sort of working specifically with this population for a long time. Tell us a little bit about your backstory and how that came to be. Absolutely. I'd be happy to. So I started my photography business when my second daughter was born because I couldn't afford two kids in daycare and I have a photography yeah. and painting degree. So here we go. I'm going to make this work. And at that time, my eldest was four years old and I just structured my sessions the way that would be successful for her. She is, and her name is Tessa and I did speak with her and I have permission to share about her and her diagnoses. So this is all in the up and up, but my beautiful daughter, she's going to turn 11 in a week Aww. and she is, yeah, almost there. Yeah. <laughs> um, they grow up way too fast, okay. right? <laughs> But um, she was one of those kids that uh, was moving and shaking, walking and talking by nine months. And we were like, oh, my gosh, here we go. And then as she grew older, we realized there are kind of some things that go along with being super smart. And that turned out to be some sensitivity. There were some reflexes that didn't get integrated. So her balance is really off. Um, she's super sensitive to clothing and light and sound and things like that. And we really sought help um, when she hit kindergarten because that's when things got real, real interesting. Sure. <laughs> um, and she was diagnosed with um, ADHD. She's the combined style. So she's both inattentive, which means she'll just zone out Mm -hmm. and hyperactive, which is a wonderful, interesting thing. During COVID, um, when I was homeschooling her, she would literally ride a stationary bike while I was oh, wow. uh, teaching yeah. her because she could move then. Right. <laughs> and I learned a lot about her during that shutdown, the things that would support her. And when I was starting my photography business, I knew that Tessa was would be successful in the morning. And so I did all my sessions in the morning. I didn't even know what golden hour was. <laughs> so mm -hmm. what I found was I was getting a lot of these families that were telling me again and again, you are the first person to appreciate my kid and not make me feel embarrassed about them. And I didn't know what they were talking about. I was just doing me because I, I know how hard it is to manage emotions and meltdowns for no seeming reason. Mm -hmm. <laughs> These extreme sense of justices, you know, and you can't, you, you 
it's just hard to navigate them. It's led to a lot of referral business, a lot of repeat business. I have uh, families coming to me again and again, and it's always my goal that uh, after a session, the kids are leaving like, when are we going to see you again, Miss Stacy? Yeah. And it's like, I'm, I'm them, you know, I make them happy. I make the parents happy. And I realized a year ago, I did a mastermind that what I do is different. And that mm -hmm. surprised me after talking to these other photographers. I'm like, wait, you only do golden hour? That that wouldn't work for my kid. That sure. would be a, a non-starter, right? And so it led me to put together a lot of information so that way photographers could understand and have tools to work with kids that are in front of their lens that they may not know are neurodivergent because not every parent's going to tell you it's kind of a hard thing to be bold and out there that your kids are different because there's a lot of shame and grief that come along with it. So sure. Yeah. And even <laughs> at certain phases, you know, lack of there, there may not be a diagnosis or there may be exactly, just sort yeah. of lack, lack of access. And then of course, you know, you and I both work with families, but this mm -hmm. is not restricted to children. It's not restricted to certain segments of the population. This is everywhere. And, I, you know, my understanding is that the current estimates are somewhere between 10 and 20 percent of the population. I mean, that's that's a huge. Yeah, that's one in five people in front yeah. of your camera lens, you know, whether they share with you or not. Yeah, sure. exactly. And so I love what you bring up about the fact that it was almost something that you did unselfconsciously on, you know, you were, you were building a business that worked for you, that worked for, mm -hmm. that would work for your daughter. I mean, I always joke around about you spend so much time with your own kid and then you meet somebody else who has a kid the same age and you're like, they're weird looking or they're weird, whatever, because whatever, <laughs> totally. whatever's your kid does is what's normal because it's what you're used to. We all do that to some mm -hmm. degree, whether we have kids or anything else. I mean, it's like we get used to what we are around all the time and we tend to exactly. accommodate to that and build accommodations mm -hmm. for that. And when we encounter someone or something that does not fit our mind map, it can be jarring and it can be challenging in a way that as photographers ends up becoming potentially problematic if we in the moment aren't able to handle it. So what's nice about becoming aware, sort of educating oneself on all the different variety, because the, the tricky thing, of course, here is that we're not talking about like, oh, if you just shift three steps to the right, you know, it's not the same mm -hmm. accommodation for every uh, yeah. for every person or every, you know, the, the word divergent just means there is diversity there. There is a whole yeah. range. So what I love is that you in your journey here have come to sort of have several recommendations, not only on how you can prepare ahead of time when you are getting ready to work with a client, but then how you can make different accommodations during the session itself. So I'd love to just kind of start at the top. Let's talk a little bit about the, you know, the period before a session. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I like to keep things simple because those of us who do have like ADHD or such, we need uh, things that are really simple. So my intake questionnaire is only three questions and I can get everything that I need from that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's what I would recommend, keeping it short and sweet. I ask who's coming, what ages are they? I ask what photos do you really want to capture? And then you kind of get, you know, this is special to me or that's special. And you kind of get an idea as to what a mom or the parent that's a 
talking to you is interested in, but the way that I get families to open up to me without feeling like I'm prying into all the little details is because there's no, as a mom, I, my first couple of photo sessions, I didn't share with the photographer that my daughter's neurodivergent because they're not my doctor. They're only going to be with me for an hour. There's no, they're not my best friend. I just need my daughter to behave for an hour. She can do that. Right. Mm So I didn't share anything. Right. And it led to some, some really bad memories that were captured on on film, which we don't want. So what I came up with was we trust, we tell our babysitter everything that we need to know because we want our kids to feel safe. Mm -hmm. So my question, my third question to families is at the photo session, I want you to relax and connect with your family, which means that I need to lead. I need to lead the session. So pretend I'm a babysitter and you're leaving your kids with me for the first time ever. What triggers them and what brings them joy? What? And I get so much more information from that because now you've, you've reframed it in a way that families get. And I get, oh, this guy is sensory seeking, or he's not going to sit still. Ha ha. This person's really shy. They really don't like bright lights. Because like you said, you, you're not generally going to get a diagnosis until they're six or eight when they're in school. And you as a parent and the teacher start to see that things are different. Because most um, times that you get go to seek a diagnosis, they need a uh, teacher input as well. So it's it's led to me having a lot of pre-information. And then I piece together, then I suggest locations based on that. And then I suggest packing lists based on that. <laughs> so that's that's one of my first steps. Yeah. And after you get these answers to these three questions back, if you are seeing things that you feel like you could use some more information or this is, you know, a bigger conversation or whatever. Is that at that point, do you ask more questions? Do you ask to get on the phone? Is there sort of a process for that? Or do you just kind of take it on a case by case basis? I will ask. I will ask. Um, I am not a phone person. The phone is not something that I am comfortable with. I worked in a call centers for too long. So I swear (laughs) there's a little bit of PTSD. So (laughs) I will tell people, text me. You can leave me a voicemail, but I just can't do it anymore. Um, But I do know that that is is something that is successful. But I also know information goes in and out of my brain. And if I talk to someone, I don't have it written down somewhere. So Mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. love email because if they're booking a session with me six months in advance, I can look back and be like, this is what they said there. And then I'll do a check-in too, you know, as we get closer to the session. But yeah, if they're sensory seeking, like, okay, tell me what type of behaviors are you like? And it's not a bad thing, but like, are there behaviors you don't want me to reinforce Mm -hmm. because I've, you know, shown up and a kid literally climbed up me. Like Mm -hmm. first thing I still have my camera in hand and it's like, okay, you know, asking like, okay, your mom is that said that that's not what she wants. So there's different things to approach with that. I mostly use the clues from those questions to determine locations that are going to work best for them. Because if they're really shy or really sensitive, can we do the session in your home? Mm -hmm. You know, is there, is that, going to be the best way or if they're highly energized like my daughter and they need to do stuff let's find a location an open field is not going to be the best fit you're going to need a location with fences to climb or uh, trees to climb things to do if you're going to an open field bring stuff you know bring bubbles that's a handy one for me for sure because I think there are always things to do within any space but it is uh it is definitely one where an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure so 
that's yeah, that's definitely what I'd I'd love to empower photographers to be proactive instead mm -hmm. of reactive, mm -hmm. so that they're not showing up and and being like, what do I do now? But you had a heads up, like, okay, I'm going to bring a couple things that might intrigue them. Blankets can be used in so many ways. I have families that create burritos and then like unwrap them because especially if a kid is sensory seeking, being wrapped in that blanket actually can help calm their nervous mm -hmm. system. So it's kind of a little hack. If I see a kid like getting out of control. It's like, hopefully it's dry here in Seattle. It's not always dry, sure. <laughs> but you roll them up. And then, I mean, and they likely do it at home too. Parents unconsciously do these things to settle right. their kids. And then how cool is that to, to capture it on at the session? Right. Um, that becomes more of them. Yeah, exactly. So wrap them up as a burrito or do the parachute game um, mm -hmm. where they have to run underneath it. There's all sorts of just a blanket can be used in so many different ways if you just want one tool to bring with you. Brilliant. Yeah. So let's say that somebody either didn't have the opportunity to ask these questions ahead of time because they didn't listen to this podcast soon enough, or maybe they just didn't get a complete picture within the confines mm -hmm. of those questions. You show up and immediately you like your senses tell you, okay, I am in a situation where this could, this could kind of go sideways. Mm -hmm. Walk me through how you can sort of in the moment adjust and, and react in order to kind of set yourself up for success. Absolutely. I would suggest the very first thing to do is really connect with the kid. In If the mom didn't give a lot of information, it could be a situation where she doesn't have a lot of the information or hasn't, like you mentioned, and maybe her only kid and she doesn't get to hang out with other kids a lot. So it's turning into a curious detective and figuring out what this kid's going to need. So I always, I always kneel down if they're a little kid and talk to them like eye to eye. And I ask permission, is it okay if I take photos of you? Because if they're already being shy they might not want to engage, especially mm -hmm. an autistic kid with a new person is going to feel really unsettled, mm -hmm. um, potentially, you know, or you could get a kid that's autistic and ADHD, like my daughter, and she's just going to talk your ear off for, mm -hmm. you know, an hour. But if they say no, then I honor that. And you're going to run into moms that say, no, they're fine. They're fine. And I'm like, no, let's give them a minute. Let's. And so then my next question is, can we go explore the park for a little bit? Have you been to this park? Can I show you some of your, my favorite things? And then you're engaging them. And it doesn't mean kind of cutting the parents out, but you're the professional and you want it to be a good experience for them. Mm -hmm. And once mom sees that you're respecting the kid, she'll end up loosening up too. It's kind of this ripple effect. So engaging and respecting the kid is going to lead to, to that. Now you will still have times where there's been too many things that's happened prior to the day, I normally advise my families to let the photo session be the only thing that happens that day. Mm -hmm. I, <laughs> I have a story. Uh, we did family photos the evening after a Veterans Day assembly for my daughter. She was so overstimulated oh, yeah. and so manic. I shut down, the photographer shut down. We were both like, we didn't know what to do. And it just, it was bad. So I really make it about judging the the energy of the kid. Mm -hmm. um, if I see that a kid is losing control in the middle of the session, I absolutely sit down and do breathing exercises with them. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it floors the parents. But it's just like, 
Okay. The other fun trick is to ask them to, pre- you know, would they like to pretend to be a rock or a tree? Give them options. Mm-hmm. Don't say, would you like to pretend to be a rock? Because they're going to say no, and they're going to run off the other way. Do you want to pretend to be a rock or a tree? Both stand still. And then we do a couple of breathing exercises, but it's giving kids options and letting know that they have some say in what's going on is going to really engage them. And then they'll open up and you'll have typically a pretty darn good session after that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure if that answers your question. (laughs) Yeah, it does. Well, and I ask not entirely out of like blind curiosity. So I had a session this fall that was, and I'm now 13 years deep into doing this or 14, I guess. And I've worked with all kinds of kids, right? All kinds of families, all kinds of kids. And I pride myself. In fact, one of the things that I often say is that I have learned how to use a camera. I know how to, (laughs) I know how to manage that, Mm -hmm. but my- key to success is really being able to kind of read a room, interact mm-hmm. with people, meet them where they are, especially with kids. Like it's just something yeah. that I'm, I have tuned, tuned that skill. Um, and I feel like I'm really good at it, but I had a session this fall where the kids were older and I do feel like the older kids get, you know, it's, it's like, they know what's going on. <laughs> they mm-hmm. know what the goals yeah. are. And I knew going into it, like I had gotten sort of a heads up from the parents that this was potentially going to be challenging. And I was like, yep, no problem. Got it. And it was, it was, uh, I, I met my match. I ultimately was able to get some portraits, but it was, I did the, you know, and again, this was a tween aged uh, kid who I asked, like, is it okay if I take photos? And then they said, no. And, you know, and as a parent, we all know, like, if you give your kids the option and they take the one you don't want, you then have to deal with the consequences of that. Yeah, it's true. But, um, but I also felt like it was the right thing to do in the moment. And then, you know, we were in a situation where this was like grandparents had traveled in from out of town and we're, you know, so it ended up being a long session, which I did not necessarily feel like helped anything because the I just felt like it kind of got a little bit worse and worse. Anyway. It was super challenging. We got some photos. I felt like I sort of did the best in the circumstances, you know, given the circumstances. And the parents ultimately were very, like, grateful, felt like we did. I reacted properly. I got a very kind email afterward. But I felt terrible. I mean, it was, you know, that was one of those where I was like, oh, I don't have all the tricks in my bag. So I guess I'm asking because I'm asking myself, like, what could I have done either ahead of time or in the moment? Or is that just one of those things where sometimes you have to accept, like sometimes as a parent, we have to accept (laughs) that we don't get to make everything exactly the way we want it to be all the time. Yeah, that that's a hard one. There might have been something going on that day. um, The added pressure of having extended family. Yeah, that could have just put the kiddo in a spot where they wouldn't be able to perform. Yeah. I don't, I don't, uh, have a home run every single session because you never know. I actually have, a a different booking for neurodivergent families, um, where I give them a three hour window and Mm -hmm. they'll text me when they're headed to the park, when their kid is set and ready to go. And I also have a free second day that I'll book, I'll book two days. And if the first day they call me up and like, nope, it's just not a thing. Um, not saying that that would help you for that because you have out, you know, outside family and stuff. Mm-hmm. I feel like you probably handled it the best you could. I think the next question would be like, why? Why would you like me to not take photos just so that I can understand? No pressure. Just yeah. help me understand. Are you feeling overwhelmed? Are you feeling like this is not your scene? Is it the park? Is it the light? Is it the 
I'm not sure where you guys were, but yeah, in their backyard. Yeah. Staying close to home is normally the best place for a neurodivergent kid. That could have just been a swing and a miss. Not not anything to do with you, but it could have been family stuff leading into it. Sure. That would have made it really hard. Or just anything like the- else, school stuff or, I mean, you uh-huh. know, we all have yeah. off days, obviously. That's, <laughs> yep. that's not limited either. But it is one of those where in some ways, because I had been given this heads up by the parents mm-hmm. and went into it, kind of ready to like handle that head on. I almost felt worse for not having like some sort of solution, but I guess maybe being, and I tend to be like a problem solver, which is something that I have come to recognize through many years of therapy is its own problem. <laughs> but, um, yeah. And sort of being able to sit with that and say, you know, when we say like, I capture the mess of parenthood or like the uh-huh. perfectly imperfect, like that extends yeah. to this kind of thing as well. Yeah, it, you gotta have grace for yourself. I have a feeling you did everything that you could in that situation. <laughs> and I mean, it's like my daughter came home yesterday and was so mean and nasty. And it took me an hour and a half to realize that she never ate her lunch. Mm-hmm. And she, but the other thing that you'll run into with these kids is they often don't get to read their own um, body cues or interceptions mm-hmm. off. So she couldn't tell that she was hungry. Wow. And like, if a kid is cold or if a kid is warm, you'll, you can sometimes look at them and like their lips will be turning blue, but they think they're fine. They're not cold Hmm. or they'll be sweating, but they aren't hot. So sometimes those things could be off and it's not, it's not even really something that we would first look at, you know, to, to do, but I, I think you probably did everything you could in their backyard and all that. Like that's the best setup for them. (laughs) Well, I'm glad to hear that there's nothing at least superficial. I have no doubt that I did not do that perfectly. I felt that way. But at the same time, I mean, I think that that's also its own good lesson to to mm-hmm. know that, you know, part of this and part of the challenge of the job that we have all taken on is that no yeah. situation is predictable and we're there to kind of, you know, it's important to keep hold of the fact that our job as photographers is to capture, to meet people where they are. I'm going to come back to that. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and I mean, so, I mean, you even mentioned the family dynamic and that can be a huge thing. I, I know that I have families that are, you know, mom and dad clearly were fighting before the session, right? right? Sure. You, know, you know, so we have to handle anything that's thrown at us, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So then During the session, let's say everything, you know, goes according to whatever plan you maybe had. (laughs) And then does your knowledge of or if you are aware that a family is dealing with neurodivergent children or family members, does that change in any way the process that you use in the follow up of the session? Not for me so much. I I do send out sneak peeks to kind of, and I use that as my check-in of like, mm-hmm. hey, it was great to meet you because it does really matter how the session went for the family. I mean, session experience is everything. And that can be the hard thing is even if you're down on yourself, mm-hmm. they still knew that you did the absolute best that you could. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's huge, right? So it's it's always nice to get that that follow-up of, yep, we had a great time meeting you too. And, you know, also the sign off that they're liking your edits. That's one reason that I send the sneak peeks, especially if there is a neurodivergent kid that runs in the family. So you Mm -hmm. may have someone that has a a more particular 
ideally they've selected you as a photographer because they like your edits your style yeah 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 but sometimes sometimes one or two slip through right so that's always my check-in and then i'll get some feedback i've gotten it a couple times i'm like no this is too bright i'm like okay that's like okay (laughs) i'll darken it down but if they're light sensitive to things then that's interesting yeah it, it is it's really i'm like okay i will i will drop this down a whole exposure <laughs> yeah. uncomfortably dark for me right but it it's easier for their eyes to look at on a phone mm-hmm. or a computer so i don't know how it printed out but <laughs> yeah sure but but yeah. that, i mean that's I, I would never have even thought of that and that's a that's a great tip i feel like this is it's again it's such an important topic it's something that i am actively seeking to learn more about myself is there anything else that you would tell a photographer are there resources that you can point photographers toward i know that you this is something that you educate photographers mm-hmm. specifically about where they can go to learn more yeah um i have started an education platform called ndphotographyed.com and i've i'm put together a pre-session strategy guide or strategy class for photographers with the questions and packing lists and questions to ask for even complex needs or high needs kids because that can be an area that people are a little bit uncomfortable with unless they've had a chance to dive into it. It goes over how you might see some of those neurodivergent uh, behaviors show up at a session. Like I mentioned, Mm -hmm. my daughter had reflex issues, which meant her balance was off. So anytime a child is put on, like she won't, she wouldn't climb until we went through, you know, years of occupational therapy. So I'll see like a dad will just spontaneously throw the kid on the shoulders and have you had them panic like Mm, (laughs) like oh i don't want to do that they likely aren't comfortable with that for some balancing reason and then i you know so that's one resource that i have and i'm developing a, a session workflow and what to do at a session class now there's also blogs on there. They're developed to be pretty honest about how can you approach a session as a photographer, why mom wouldn't tell you, why mom isn't the one to please, you know, so I've got blogs on there to help. If you are neurodivergent and you are looking to help with parenting and stuff, I learn a lot from the Tilt Parenting podcast. There's a lot of great resources that she has on there for if you really want to dive into learning more there too. So that's great. Yeah, there's so much out there. (laughs) Wonderful. I know. And it is an amazing thing the proliferation of information that has come out, I feel like just in the last decade mm-hmm. um, yeah. that has been made available to all of us. And I think that it is, uh, again, with a segment of the population that is as large, whether it affects you or your immediate family or your immediate friend group or not, it affects mm-hmm. people you know, no question. So it is um, a worthwhile thing to to dive into. So this is great. And I will link all of those things in the show notes for sure. But uh, Stacy, tell everyone where they can find you. It's you said it's ND photography, uh, photography <laughs> Okay, so and then uh, is that the best place for them to find you? Or do you have an Instagram that you keep up with? Yeah, my Instagram is feasible photography and same on Facebook. And that's where I'm, I'm sharing a lot of my tips and stuff for working with ND families on there. Um, and just, you know, sharing and it's, uh, it's wonderful to see people so happy that they feel represented. Absolutely. Absolutely. So good. Well, Stacey, again, thank you so much. And I will look forward to, uh, to speaking with you again in the future. Thank you so much, Alme. 
Well, that's it for this week's episode of This Can't Be That Hard. I'll be back same time, same place next week. In the meantime, you can find more information about this episode, along with all the relevant links, notes, and downloads at thiscan'tbethathard.com slash learn. If you like the podcast, be sure to hit the subscribe button. Even better, share the love by leaving a review in iTunes. And as always, thanks so much for joining me. I hope you have a fantastic week.